from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. Money to expand I-70, fully fund school transportation, and raise state worker pay are just some of the things Governor Mike Parson wants to include in Missouri's budget. The governor outlined his plan last week during the annual State of the State Address to general bipartisan support. And St. Louis Public Radio's Statehouse reporter Sarah Kellogg talked with Parson yesterday about some of those priorities. Today, we have a good portion of that interview for you. And when it's over, we'll talk with Sarah Kellogg and our political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum for analysis. To kick things off, Parson told Sarah about his priorities of workforce development and infrastructure. We realize how key those things are for the future of our state and what it really means to everyday people. And and you can almost, from workforce development, you can take education, daycare, health care, all of that falls under that umbrella and then have the infrastructure in place uh, to be able to build around that, whether that's broadband, whether that's highways, bridges, airports. I mean, just go on there. But the one thing I have learned, if you just keep staying focused on those two issues, uh, that's a good message for everyone. And if you keep executing and building up in those arenas, it makes the state much better. Looking at what really appears to be the big ticket item, which is $859 million to expand I-70 in three spots in the state, you know, what do you have to say to possible critics that feel like it only helps those who live near I-70 as opposed to, you know, other areas of the state? Yeah, I think when you look at the history of what I've done as governor, whether it's rural bridges, you know, you had the same scenario when we did a lot of the rural bridges over there. We did 250 rural bridges and everybody says, hey, you know, the governor just spent on rural Area. So, so that's kind of always a political talking point a little bit. But I think you go back to when I first became governor and they were trying to do the Buck O'Neill Bridge in Kansas City. And I said, yes, I agree with that. So let's do it. The Roachport Bridge in Columbia, the I-270 project in St. Louis, all the money we can free up to do those projects are a win for the state. And the reality of it, that's where the most traffic volume is, if you look at the St. Louis, Columbia, Kansas City. But the bottom line is this. I firmly believe once you get those major uh, areas done, those centers all done and completed, you're going to connect the dots. Who, whoever's the next governor down the road, those will be things that will happen. It's just it's, it's, it's a little unusual. We're taking basically general revenue to fund this. We've never done that before. And then I always have to look at things from the governor's position. What's things look like financially four and five years down the road, not just this year? I think it's important to do that. In addition to the money already going towards infrastructure, there's also going to be federal infrastructure dollars that will eventually make its way to the state. As I hear, it's kind of slow movings there. What do you envision maybe spending that money on? Oh, I think I think you're going to continue to build on infrastructure, whether that's our river ports, whether it's airports, whether it's our highway systems. Uh, you know, you can almost go down the line of everything that we're doing. Rail is huge. I mean, when uh, Kansas City Southern merged with the Canadian Pacific, that was the first time in our nation's history that you now have continuous rail from Canada to Mexico and the headquarters in Kansas City. Those are huge uh, importance to our states to be, be able to have that. So I think we want to build on that. If you look at the, what we call the STIP plan that MoDOT creates or the commission creates, the seven-year plan. So that went from $2.5 billion to $10 billion over the next seven years. So there's going to be a huge influx of infrastructure in the state of Missouri already teed up, already paid for for the next seven years. So you're going to see lots of expansions, lots of projects being done around the state. 
And then again, the I-70 project is on top of that. And then we got the cost share programs we now sent to the local areas where cities and counties can figure out what's your main projects and we're going to help you. So there's just going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity for that. But you have to have the infrastructure in place, one, to keep people in Missouri, two, to expand the workforce, to create new jobs and to create new businesses. On the topic of education, uh, fully funding the foundation formula, fully funding school transportation, you know, last year it was pretty much said that fully funding school transportation, which hadn't been done in like over 20 years, was going to be a one-year thing and maybe not to count on it next year. And now it looks like you want this done annually. You know, why did you make that decision? Well, most certainly because it's critical that you get kids back and forth from school. And I mean, you got to do some fundamental things there. Fundamental is get them there, transportation-wise. So I think we got to do that. And I think also by creating that new transportation money, and again, continually fully fund the foundation formula with an additional 117 million. You know, no school out there should be having a budget problem. If it's a budget problem, it's self-inflicted because we're totally funding the programs, we're totally funding transportation, and that should have freed up a lot of money from to do lots of other things within their areas, whether that's teacher pay, whether that's other uh, areas of education. But look, right now, the education institutions are, are getting what they need to do business. You know, kind of in a similar vein, you know, on teacher pay, you asked for an additional $31.9 million to go towards career ladder. Um, but that was the main new thing in addition to teacher pay. You know, why not go further, such as calling for a raising of the floor of the minimum state teacher pay, which is, is still at 25K? Well, it's not. We changed that last year. So the floor is 25K. We moved that to 38000 That was in last year's budget that, that we do that. So now base pay for a teacher in the state of Missouri is 38000 that we have in the state. So we did that plus career ladder last year that we were able to do that. And again, we're putting more money in the career ladder this year. And I think there was about 6,000 teachers got increases last year. And then you had your base pay where that went up too, that we've been able to do. So we've been able to do both of those things uh, to be able to increase that pay on teacher's pay. But I've told the education community, I, I tell the legislators this, look, this is not gonna be about writing a check and all of a sudden just giving somebody the money to give raises. You know, the local levels are going to have to do their part, too. We're, we're going to partner with anybody that wants to partner with us. And we've made a, uh, we've done that for now four or five years. We know it works. So I think it's really important to know what are they going to do on their end to be able to help with the teacher pay. But we've got to do a better job paying for teachers in this state. When you've got a $25,000 uh, minimum pay or baseline pay, you know, that's $12 an hour. That you're asking teachers to go out there and educate your kids and you know do a lot of things outside the teaching arena that they used to have to be responsible for so uh, no question we need to do a better job taking care of the teachers yeah i guess uh correct me if i'm wrong the 38k that minimum wage that's an optional grant program right like schools don't necessarily have to participate that's correct that's correct yeah yeah it that's is. what i meant by why not raise oh, that oh okay I, I see what you well i mean you're paying are a large percentage of it. I wouldn't know what you wouldn't take advantage of that. And you know, the vast majority of schools have. There's 365 school districts took advantage of it. Smart enough to figure that one out pretty quick. Also related to schools, I understand the state of the dress is largely a budgetary speech. Um, but 
uh, on the topic of school safety, 50 million in grants, why not push for more kind of on a policy front when it comes to school safety? Well, one, I think you got to figure out 50 million is a lot of money to put in school safety. You got to figure out, okay, what, what is the guidelines for that? What are you going to be using it for? You know, I, I think that's one thing that, that I'm not a big fan of. And I think sometimes government just says, we're going to spend this big number of dollars on something. But if you don't have a plan, how are you going to expend it or how are you going to execute it? What are you doing? Just because you want to say it's a big number. But really, it's about keeping kids safe, keeping teachers safe, keeping administration safe. And how do we do that? And what did we learn from St. Louis that, that we can do better uh, the way things occur when a tragedy does happen? You, you, I think you always, and this is the old law enforcement in me, when a tragic event happens, you should always go back and reevaluate everything that occurred, you know, why it occurred, is there something you can do that's better? And I think, uh, unfortunate tragedy, but we need to learn from that. In that particular circumstance, it appears that a red flag law might have helped that. You know, they went to the police and said this person is a danger to themselves or others, and law enforcement weren't able to take that gun away. You know, is there any version of a red flag law that you think could pass? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can you can argue that you could have did this differently, you could have did that different. If the security guards would have been armed. Would it have made a difference that day? And I mean, all of those things are going to come to light. You know, people with mental health issues, deranged people, you know, you just don't have control over them and they're going to be there. And there's something society's going to do. We're not going to be able to fix all that. But, you know, we want to give law enforcement all the tools they need to be successful at what they what they do and protect people's individual rights. Just one more on that one. You know, there is a precedent of Republican state governments passing such a law. I know Florida was an example of that. So is there, even if it's the narrowest of bills, do you see any support for red flag you, law? You know, I, I, I don't see that in Missouri. I think, I think one, the red flag law is more of a political statement. So, I mean, and that's what drives everybody apart when you start going down those roads. If you want to see common ground like what Florida or some other states have looked at, I think there's always a discussion to be had the way things you can do better. But I think when you start tagging things with those political hot button issues, you automatically are in the wrong direction. You're going to be divided just like the Second Amendment. What do you what do you aim to gain out of it? And for me, it's always about how do you really make things better? You're listening to Missouri Governor Mike Parson in conversation with our State House reporter, Sarah Kellogg. Let's get back to more of their interview. On the topic of child care, you know, this was something that was mentioned at the beginning of the year by the legislature. You know, you agree with this. Why put attention on it now? Why not earlier? Well, I think we've been talking about it all along when it comes to workforce development and creating new jobs. I mean, understanding what that meant. I think, you know, again, the pandemic brought uh, a, a lot of that upon us that none of us had any control of. Because if you look at Missouri as a whole, 50% of the state was somewhat in a, in a, in a desert area for childcare. We just didn't have it. And that was pre-COVID. So, and then 30% of those are gone now that after the pandemic is over. So we know there's a huge shortage. We know from talking to businesses and, and people that are out there in the workforce that that's one of the major issues, even with state employees. You know, you got 55,000, 60,000 state employees. You know, it's a huge issue, but it is all across the state. So we know we'd rather have people in the workforce than having to stay home and take care of the kids if that's the choice they have to make. You know, right now the state has a lot of money uh, in surplus. I'm sure you'd agree with me that it's kind of naive to think the state will always have this much money. So in a situation of an economic downturn, will these child care programs be some of the first to get cut? Well, I don't think there's any question. The way we're building this budget, it's not about cutting anything. That's never in our mind. It's how do we sustain it? How do we, all these programs when we start, it's why, again, I'm going back saying, you just can't go out there and th throw out a big number because it sounds good. For us, we're looking like five and 10 years down the road. What can the state actually afford? How much of it was the federal money? Everybody will tell you that says, well, this is all federal money. Well, really it's not. 
you know, you have to look and see what your economy is doing in your state. And last fall and even just as last as last month, I believe we're up like 15 percent, 17 percent. Those are huge numbers for our state. But more people are going back to work. More businesses are coming here and our economy is growing. Wages are going up. So that creates more money for state government. So but, you know, yeah, I'm not going to go out there and figure a budget saying I'm going to be up 17 percent for the next five years. Uh, I'm not going to do that. That's why we're going to do I-70 in portions versus all trying to do that all at once. So you get you got to be smart about it today. You might have that in the bank, but, you know, you got a lot of obligations out there too. Uh, pay raises. Uh, the cost of living adjustment, along with an extra $2 an hour for some who work overnight or night shifts, uh, why that amount? Well, it's important to compete. Uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're competing with the private sector every day, and you've got some dedicated people that's hanging here in the state. And when you look at, uh, like, children's division, mental health, corrections, some of the tougher arenas that people have to work in, you know, you gotta be you got to be able to retain those people, you know, because when you start losing that kind of experience, it has an impact on us. And I think when you got to compete with, uh, and I'll just say the dollar, I think it's Dollar General Store, you know, the manufacturing place in Fulton, Missouri, they're paying people $21 an hour. You know, that's the people we're competing with. Those are the same kind of people that's competing against state employees. And we just got to do a better job taking care of them. Uh, and I think we're, we're on the right path. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be a big plus for us if we can get this through the legislative body. Uh, a March 1st deadline. Uh, do you have confidence that the legislature is going to meet that? You know what? I, I Who knows exactly what will happen? But yes, I, I somewhat do believe they will. I mean, I think they all understand the importance of that also for state employees. I mean, we're 7,000 employees down. And, and those are not fluff numbers. Those are just the reality of it. Is that's how many openings we have. So... And when you look at things like a children's division, it really has to be out there on the front lines, mental health, corrections, again, day in and day out. That doesn't stop. And when you're shorthanded, like in children's division or mental health, that means you're trying to put many more people, very thin workload, I want to say. And I'll give you an example in the children's division where it should be like one uh, for one caseworker, 16 cases is probably one to 40. You know, that's not a good scenario for anybody. And to not act like that's not happening when I know the reality of it is we got to fix it. And these are some of the things we can do. So I hope the legislators understand how important that is and really how important it is to keep good people in, in the positions they are. Many, many times during the state of the state, you know, Democrats stood up and applauded quicker than Republicans did on some of your proposals. What do you make of this? Well, I, I think it, it goes back to just there's so many things that we all agree on as people that live in this state. And it's not always about all the things we totally disagree on, uh, all the hot button issues. You know, when you go talking about workforce and you talk about education, health care, infrastructure, those are not Democrat, Republican issues. Those are issues that are good for the state and it's good for everyday people. I mean, you know, basic fundamentals. People want to be safe when they leave their homes. They want to feel like they're safe when their kids go to school. They want to feel like they're safe. They want your kids to have an education and they want people to go into the workforce and I think that's what era, that's what that state of the state was really addressing. It wasn't addressing what we disagree on. It was addressing the things we agree on. So let's get those things done. Yeah, so you feel this is really truly kind of a bipartisan budget. Yeah, I mean, this is the one we built, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad everybody's supporting it. I'm glad they like it. I don't care which side of the aisle they sit on. We, I just think this is the right thing for the future of our state. Uh, and, and maybe I say that because uh, of I have my grandkids. You know, I've got grandkids, my own children. I want them to have opportunity to stay in Missouri if they want to stay in Missouri. I, I want them to have the same chances I've had coming from where I came from to be where I'm at today. And uh, what they do with that, I don't know. But I want them to have that chance. There was some criticism from some Republicans that the state is just spending too much money, you know, with last budget and with this budget. What is your response to that? 
Well, I think if you believe in the philosophy of what we do, I would say when they make those kind of statements, we believe if you invest in workforce, if you invest in businesses, if you invest in education, and you get people in the workforce and you bring businesses to the state of Missouri, your economy grows, so your revenues are going to grow. And you have to keep that in perspective. It's just not to say you got to cut, cut, cut every time. Uh, I understand government spends a lot of money. But we also have to balance the budget every year. We have to be responsible for that. And as long as we're putting that money where I feel like that we can build the economy, you know, being number one in the United States for the cost of doing business is a big deal when you get that. Number three in apprenticeships programs, number four in manufacturing, number seven in aerospace automobile industry. You know, we've never been in those categories before. So there is a balance to it. I mean, you know, you just can't go out there and just spend money all the time. And I don't think we do. I think we have a plan in place that how do we do one-time expenditures versus example of ongoing expenses. So you got to think about all those things. Yeah, I guess kind of in the same vein, what questions would you have to ask people who are saying you're spending too much money? What would you ask them? You know, I, I think, you know, if it is, what's the plan? You know, if, if, if you don't have a, it's easy to go out there if you're sitting out there and you just say, well, you need to cut this or cut that or spend this or not spend money. The question is, what is the plan at the end of the day? What is it you really want to do for Missouri citizens? And are you going to make the state better or are we not? You know, and I mean, there's some issues out there. If we are failing miserably on it, honestly, we need to be honest about that and say we're not doing a good job of that uh, in, in certain areas. But I also will tell you, you know, I, and I've said this many, many times uh, when it comes back to children, you've got to get a child in education and you've got to get them in that setting. I don't care whether it's public, charter, private, faith-based. I, I don't care what the school is, but a kid has to get an education. And the reality is if we don't change that. You're not going to change very many things we've been dealing with for the last for several decades. I'm curious kind of what goes through your head as a Republican governor with this much of a surplus and you see it and you go, you know, what do you do with it? It seems like you've yeah. kind of come up with that answer through this today the state address yeah you know you know i'm very fortunate we you know like i said maybe maybe i've been around a while uh for for better terms but you know put a plan in place and how do you execute it and what is the long-term end game to it it's not about one year it's not about a particular issue it's about trying to figure out all the issues together and how do you put a plan together to move the state of missouri forward and how do you how do you execute that and how do you make it sustainable? And as long as you can do all those things, stay with those basic principles, uh, I think it's the right thing to do. There'll always be somebody's always going to think something's more important than the other, or somebody wants more money than the other. But at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta be responsible to the people of this state, and that's what I try to focus on. Beyond the budget, you know, lots of policy decisions are going to be made this year. You know, what are some policies that you're hoping the legislature accomplishes, kind of broad ideas? Well, I, I think for the most part, most of ours was in the state of the state. You, you know, uh, early childhood development, I think that's big to us. Uh, you know, daycare is big. Uh, the mental health issue for children, for adults is huge to us. I mean, there's just lots of things in there when it comes to, to the workforce and infrastructure. I, I just know since I've been governor, when we've stayed focused on those things, they have paid off and they've been the right thing for the people of the state of Missouri. And when you really look at what all we've been through and, and all the things that this administration has been through and you compare it to other states, it's just incredible what we've been able to do together. Uh, you know, yeah, there's fights and there's different things that go on every year out here and it's just the way this place works. But at the end of the day, what are you getting done, accomplished? And for us, 
Um, frankly, just almost major every major issue that we've set out to get done, we've been able to do by working with a lot of people out there and making sure we had the support of the people of the state. That's Missouri Governor Mike Parson talking with STLPR State House reporter Sarah Kellogg about his priorities for the state. Now to talk about what Parson said with Sarah herself and with STLPR political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Sarah, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Hi. Thank you. Great. Now, Sarah, something that stood out to me in Parson's interview with you was the theme of mobility as he highlighted workforce development and infrastructure. Did that in any way come as a surprise? I think the initial announcement of the I-70 expansion definitely kind of seems like the biggest announcement and definitely not something that I predicted. But as far as workforce development, that has always been kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, that's always been a big part of his administration and things that he's, you know, emphasizing. And so I wasn't, I would say like maybe some of the specifics, but overall theme, not as much. Yeah, that's been a common rhetorical theme throughout Governor Parson's administration. In fact, I think it's becoming a running joke that like he doesn't speak a sentence without saying the words workforce development and infrastructure. So I I wasn't surprised about that. Mm -hmm. And Jason, the last time we talked, you said you were struck by Parson's dedication of big funds to highway infrastructure and I-70 was Mm -hmm. one of those. Did his conversation with Sarah elaborate upon anything you were wondering about last week during his State of the State address? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was a lot of like him kind of just expounding upon some of the general details. Um, one of the things that I think I'm going to be interested in going forward is whether the I-70 project, if the state legislature ends up approving, will have federal money attached to it. Because the one thing that I was hearing from a couple of people who like the idea of spending money on I-70 is it's good that we're focusing on St. Louis, Columbia, and Kansas City, but there's a a lot of other stretches of that highway that would need to be expanded too. And I just don't think it's going to be possible without federal money. Um, Not to to, uh, give our listeners too much of a preview or tease, but I'm going to be talking with Um, U.S. House uh, Transportation Chairman, uh, Committee Chairman Sam Graves tomorrow, and I'm hoping to get more insight into whether that is a fantasy or Mm -hmm. could be part of a reality. Sarah, uh, you asked uh, Governor Parson about school safety and potential for any sort of red flag law that could prevent tragedies like October's tragic shooting at Central Visual and Performing Arts High School. And you kept pursuing, um, kept following up with Parson on the red flag laws by mentioning legislation that's passed in other states like Florida. And Parson said, you know, I don't see that in Missouri before going on to say that child care is a higher priority than, quote, political hot button issues. Would you say that's politically pragmatic, given what Parson wants to push? I think that's a very good question. I think that the reason why I pursued that as much as I did is because that was pretty much the one area of his budget that Democrats were like, well, that isn't enough as far as safety issues and budget. And and, and so, you know, the, what's the second thing? You know, a lot of them are pushing for this rad flag law. I think that... I think that the governor has to very much stay close to his hand in his party when it comes to um, politics as far as the Second Amendment and gun rights. And I think that 
and a lot of the things that he's pushing for as far as child care and other things are popular enough that he might not have to worry about, you know, sticking with sticking with the party on that mm-hmm. line as far as gun control. Jason, what do you make of Parsons' response to that question? I, I'm not terribly surprised by that because a lot of Republicans have really turned against the idea of red flag laws. I do want to just mention, and I don't mean to be, uh, some people may say that this point is like arguing in bad faith, but I do think this is an important point to bring up. There are hypothetical scenarios where red flag laws could be abused. Let's just say somebody who is married to someone accuses somebody of being a danger to themselves or others when they're really not and then dis, you know a judge disarms them and that they know that they're not armed and then attack that person i think that any discussion of red flag laws need to safeguard against situations like that mm-hmm. and i'm sure that there are other states that do put that forward but um i think that just putting that example forward um I think showcases some of the potential trappings of the red flag law of how they can be abused. But I, I don't, I don't even think we're getting into that conversation or that policy uh, nuance because I don't think that this issue is even being brought up as a possibility. Mm-hmm. And how much of the distancing from any sort of address through a red flag legislation might you attribute to a certain? balancing, so to speak, that Parson might have to do, given some of the political infighting that you've reported about among Republicans? I think think there was a point, and I think it was last year, where the idea of a red flag law had palpability among Republicans. And just along the way, it kind of got ensnared into this rhetorical box that a lot of conservative groups have, that it's just an infringement on the Second Amendment. It's an infringement on gun rights. And once you get in that box, it's very hard to get out of it because then that kind of metastasizes among people who really care about that issue. And it sort of reaches a critical mass of like people who feel very strongly that gun ownership is an inalienable right and anything that uh, goes against it yeah, is is philosophically unadjacent to that. So I think that's really what's going on here. Like it's no longer a palatable issue among a lot of Republicans, and I think Parson is just responding to that political reality. Mm-hmm. So there is pragmatism. I think definitely. so, absolutely. Okay. Sarah, another thing that you noted um, was who stood up with applause first during Parsons' State of the State, and and Jason is nodding over here, and it was not (laughs) Republicans, right? So Parsons has been in office now for a little over four and a half years. He started in 2018. Did the priorities that Parsons laid out, um, do they depart in any notable way from how he's talked about things that are important in the past? Um, And does that have anything to do with the tepid response he got from lawmakers on his side of the aisle, so to speak? I do want to clarify, there was a state, like standing ovations did happen on both sides as Democrats were quicker to, to, to jump up. I think mm-hmm. it's less of a, de- it's maybe not as much of a question as a departure as what can you do when you have a state that has a lot more money and where do your policy, like where do you expand your priorities once you have that? So, you know, clearly the state is looking at a record surplus and, you know, and I talked to Parson about that, like what do you do when you have this much? And it seems like a lot of the his priorities are things that Democrats have been wanting for years and are popular. And it is 
technically because it is more government spending that is maybe more of the hesitancy on Republicans. So I think it's more of an expansion of his ideas as it is as it opposed to a departure. Mm-hmm. Jason, to finish up on that. Yeah, I also think it might just be responding to what people are concerned about. Daycare uh, is expensive. Inflation is kind of eating away at discretionary income. So any way to make that more affordable for people is going to be have a lot of appeal across the spectrum. Jason Rosenbaum covers politics as STLPR's political correspondent, and Sarah Kellogg is State House reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. Thank you both for your analysis of Governor Parsons' priorities. Thank you. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Alex Hoyer, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.